from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Vanessa Williams from The Washington Post. Hey, it's Philip Rucker at The Washington Post. Do you have a minute? Hi, this is Dan Zak from The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, September 2nd, Labor Day. Today, a story about someone with a rare medical condition and how science has made her rethink what she thought she knew about herself. Sadie Dingfelder is one of my coworkers here at The Post. And all of her life, Sadie believed that she was the kind of person who was just bad at remembering things. So I've made some, like, mistakes that other people don't make. And, and I knew that, like, it sort of fit into my view of myself as a little bit spacey because I also get <laughs> lost really easily and I tend to get really involved in what I'm doing and sort of unaware of what's going on around me. And for years, Sadie thought that this kind of stuff was just part of her personality. But then there was this moment where she realized that maybe there was something more to her problem. I think my big moment was when I was in a grocery store with my dad. And we were walking down the aisle. Wait, how old were you? I was actually in college, so pretty late in the game here. I came home for summer break. I was walking in the grocery store with my dad, and this person walked by us. And I was like, hi, Sadie. And I was like, hey. <laughs> and my dad said, oh, like, that was really rude, <laughs> like, after this woman walked past us. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, that's your good friend, Kali. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and you, you didn't recognize her? No, I didn't recognize her at all. And my dad said that that little hey sound I make is like what I, is like a tell that I have no idea who someone is. <laughs> and I actually remember my own bat mitzvah. I mean, it really could have been, you could have populated it with an entirely different bat mitzvah crowd. I would have had no idea. Like You could sub in an entirely different set of family and friends. Do you, like, do you remember that from your bat mitzvah that you just looked out on the crowd and you were like, I don't know who these people are. No, because that is always my experience, right? <laughs> like, that's what I'm used to, just going through the world and not having any clue who anyone is. And I just thought that's kind of how everyone was. This has continued into Sadie's adult life. At Thanksgiving, she confused her aunt for her mom. And another time, she was at the grocery store, again, and she went up to this guy that she thought was her husband. He grabbed uh, some generic peanut butter and I was like, since when do we buy generic? And then he made this face that was not the kind of face my husband would make. I mean, <laughs> it was not her husband. But it wasn't until she read an article by this famous science writer, Oliver Sacks, that Sadie put a name to her disorder. Prospoagnosia? Pro- Prospoag... Pro- let's see. Let me look it up again. <laughs> Pros- pros- prosopagnosia. Prosopagnosia. You may have heard of it as face blindness. And then I was like, oh, this is, I have this too. <laughs> Thanks, Oliver Sacks. Basically, what it means is that Sadie's brain cannot remember faces. When someone's face is directly in front of me, I think I see that face as well as anyone. The difference is that my brain does not encode that information. And so when your face is away from me, you know, if you asked me to draw you, it would be very bad. Has this been a problem for you over the years? Not really. It's kind of just a part of who I am, I think. Like, 
I think you can kind of go either way if you're face blind. You can treat everyone like a stranger or you can treat everyone like they're possibly your best friend or your mom. Like, I've mistaken people for my mom who are not my mom. More to the point, like, I'm just really friendly. That friendliness is a coping mechanism that she had to come up with later in life. Because as a kid, her trouble with remembering faces made it really hard to connect with people. She ended up spending a lot of time by herself. She read a lot. She was a little bit lonely. So I always had trouble making friends. And I realize now that's because if I meet someone repeated times, I have no idea that I've met them before. And I always thought this was because I was, like, just maybe a little off-putting. But my dad is very social, and he, you know, would say that I was being rude to people. And he was right, but I didn't realize it. So then when I read this, I was like, look, Dad, like, this, I have a disorder. Like, I have a reason for being rude by accident all the time. And what did he say? Um, I don't think he really believed me. And also, like, I never got formally diagnosed or anything. I just decided I was face-blind. Late last year, Sadie decided that she wanted that diagnosis. She read about this study that was happening at Harvard that was looking at face blindness. And so she applied. And then they were like, well, take this online test and we'll see if you fail or pass. And I took the test and it was so hard that I thought it was a joke. So the test went like this. Sadie would be shown a grid of eight faces. And their faces were sort of really separated from their hair because apparently we face-blind people can be really tricky. Like they end up using other parts of someone's appearance to recognize them. We learn to cue in on hair and gait and and voice and lots of other tricky Mm. things. So basically, Sadie is looking at a grid of floating, creepy faces with no hair and no ears. And then after she had some time, they'd take the grid away. And then they would show you, they would be like, did you just see this face? Did you just see this face? And I'm like, I have no idea. This is horrible. (laughs) And so you were like, this is definitely a thing that I'm experiencing. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting is like... As I've delved into the research, I found that it's not that I'm so bad. It's that everyone else is really good. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is one way to look at it. So, like, I've discovered that there is a specialized part in your brain, this tiny little part called the fusiform face area. And fusiform face area. And it's the specialized little part of your brain that is like just 100% devoted to making these tiny measurements on the fly every time you meet a new person, like measurements from like their eyebrow to their eyelid or from their nose to their mouth. Like, I don't know how you people do that. It's nuts. (laughs) So Sadie got accepted into this Harvard study. And one of the things they wanted to figure out was if there's a way for people with face blindness to improve the performance of their fusiform face area. The train to Cleveland Circle is now arriving. I went up to Boston and where they did a brain scan on me. You have to eliminate all the metallic items from your uh, body. And they put like all these electrodes on my head and an eye tracker on my eye and made me try to recognize faces. In the first part, you'll need to match one out of these six faces to the top face. Uh And during the second part, three out of these six faces will match the top. This was basically to get Sadie's baseline, to figure out exactly how bad she was at recognizing faces. Then I had to do 30 hours of, like, the most tedious computer program training. Middle high. Highest, not highest. Where they would show me a grid of faces 
and then make me categorize them into like category one or two. Highest, not highest. Middle, low. Highest, not highest. And they were trying to train me to pay attention to these tiny differences in uh, facial features and make these rapid calculations simultaneously in my head. And so the idea is that they're sort of teaching you from scratch how to... Do this thing that everyone else figured out how to do as babies, like, automatically. (laughs) (laughs) Middle low. Middle high. After I did this, all this training, and they did all the same tests on me to see, presumably, if my brain function has changed and also if I'm oh. performing better. So, like, if that part of your brain that is in charge of identifying faces, if it got stronger or more, more active. active. Interesting. Yeah. So, I'm going to find out today. Like You're finding the, out today? On this phone call, that whether or not I got better. And also... Honestly, I never really got the diagnosis to begin with. Like, the fact I got into the study and they put me through all this training made me infer that hopefully I am face-blind, because otherwise this was highly tedious and annoying. (laughs) But, like, I never found out for sure. Like, I want the Harvard stamp of approval. Like, I am face-blind, and I want to know if I was able to get better. Well, it's funny because it does feel like the point of this is to help improve the problem. But it seems like you are less interested in, like, solving the problem and just more interested in being validated that you do have this problem. (laughs) That may be accurate. That may be accurate. But I am interested in solving the problem, too. Like, I think that it would be fun to live in a world where, like, sometimes I feel really lonely. And if I could Mm -hmm. recognize people, I think I wouldn't feel as lonely. Why do you feel lonely? Because I'm always surrounded by strangers unless I go up to them and figure out who the hell they are. I go to the same coffee shop every morning like, friends of mine have sat down next to me, and uh, I don't know that they're there, and I would love to chat with them, you know? How do you feel right now before the call? Oh, you know, I feel, like, anxious, totally anxious. Yeah. Hello? Hi, Joe. Hey, how's it going? So good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, the uh, kind of wrapping things up before the big memorial weekend. Awesome. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're recording us for the podcast. Okay, wait. Okay, so Sadie, we're here. It's what, like five days after we first talked about your disorder. What did they tell you? Um, okay, so am I legit face blind? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Your ability to learn new faces is amongst the worst of our prosopagnosics. <laughs> I think the thing that I'm most excited about is, weirdly, that um, my brain is very bizarre on a structural level. Um, Did they tell you that? Is that what they said? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope that they use those exact words, that your brain is bizarre on a structural level. So in the structure of the brain, we found that the FFA. This little section, the fusiform face area, that is, you know, the size of the tip of your pinky. This fusiform face area is actually thicker than average. I have the fusiform face area of a 12-year-old, which is, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm much worse at facial recognition than a 12-year-old. When you're a child, your face area is, is thick and fat. Uh-huh. And it gets kind of, as 
as it gets pruned, it gets thinner and thinner. Because there's this thing that happens called neural pruning, where your brain gets rid of neurons that are not useful. And actually, there's some data to show that thinner is better for your face area. Uh-huh. So out of all the brain, your whole brain like looks completely normal, but this one area looks a little thicker than it should be. Whoa. So they were like, you definitely have this, and we can definitely see that just from looking at your brain. Yes, and it made me so excited. And also... One of the things that I just wanted to let you know is like, we gave you like one of these diagnostic tests before you did the training, right? Uh-huh. And then we gave you that test again, as well as like an alternate form. So you, the one that you haven't like seen before, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The amount that you went up on these tests after training was kind of remarkable. Wow. I improved more than anyone else in the study. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I worked very hard. They said that. I'm still kind of like, let's, I was telling the research, I was like, can we just double check those numbers? They had to keep rerunning my data because they didn't believe it. They're like, no way this is real. I think it's pretty squarely can say that you have this lifelong face recognition problem. How did that make you feel? It just is like, I feel like this whole thing honestly is, um, sort of, it's like so validating because my whole life, I feel like everyone else has like secret information that I don't have, and I just have to come up with like workarounds. Okay, I've got kind of a philosophical question for you. So if you are like, I have no idea how to answer that, that's fine. You know, I went through my most of my life just thinking, I guess I'm a little spacey, and so now like I know I have, I belong to this group. What's the point of learning you have a disability like as an adult and like working on it or trying to get better at it when you already have yeah. so many compensatory strategies, presumably? Yeah, so that's I mean, and this is this is a this is a great question. So one of the other things in this project, we you know, you we had you fill out all those questionnaires, right? Yeah. Like how much are you suffering and and you know, there's a huge range that we see with like prosopagnosics. Like some people are like Oh my God, you know, this is, this is messed up my life. I can't socialize. You know, I, I, I have anxiety and then other people just kind of like throw themselves into social situations, no matter what. Yeah. And you know, that's something we're kind of figuring out. Is there, you know, personality differences or, or is it severity or what? One of the things that we've been, been really interesting is that prosopagnosics rate themselves as like perceives themselves more negatively than others do. Like a lot of our prosopagnosics are like, People think I'm aloof. People think I'm dismissive. And a lot of their friends and family don't perceive them that way. But I think one of the things you can get, you can kind of go back and make sense of your life sometimes. Yeah. Do you look back on things that have happened in your life and feel differently about them now because you know what was going on inside your brain? Yeah, I had like a whole sort of understanding of my childhood kind of settled at this point, And now it's been thrown into like confusion. Like I, I didn't have any friends growing up and I thought it was because I was very off-putting. And to be honest, I mean, I like did things like carried around a roll of toilet paper to deal with my constantly running nose. <laughs> but maybe people were trying to make friends with me and I was just like not able to recognize them, you know. Do you, if you could say something to your 
preteen self now with what you know now, what would you say? That's such a tough question. I mean, there's so much to say to your 13-year-old self, right? I feel like it gets better. <laughs> but, but the, like, if having this validation now as an adult, like, yeah. means so much to you, like, imagine what, have, what it would have been like to hear that as a kid. I know. And, you know, that's—it would be—it would be helpful to know that there was a reason. Um, I don't know if being told that you've got, like, actually something structurally wrong with your brain as a 13-year-old is going to make you feel like that's, like, a huge part of your personality— also, I almost... I mean, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> phrase it that way to a 13-year-old former you. I mean, I think, like, I feel like it would have been helpful at that time to have the message of, like, it, these, these things that happen to you, they're, it's know, not your fault. But it totally cuts both ways, right? Like, not knowing made me just... I couldn't fixate on it, you know? And I just was like, I'm just going to do my best and soldier through and not navel gaze, you know? And... I guess I wonder how do you help people sort of integrate that into like in a useful way into like their sense of self. As an adult, it's probably not very helpful, right? Like I already had this like sort of understanding of myself as like a weird little kid. And I'm like, well, I guess people just get nicer, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this information at all. (laughs) I didn't think I cared. That's the big thing. Like, I kind of went into this whole story just being like, I don't care. Like, this is just an interesting thing, and I've always wanted to get my brain scanned. But then when you asked me, I was like, oh, my God, I care. Why do you think you care? You know, I feel like I threw this whole sort of very settled and overwrought part of my life into disarray you know like I had a really (laughs) clear understanding of sort of why I had no friends for a long time and and it's kind of a mystery I don't know why what happened like I didn't get better at recognizing people but I eventually figured out how to make friends I think like I was just changing my attitude from assuming everyone was my like enemy to assuming everyone was my friend right or everyone was a stranger to like everyone was someone I knew so, I don't know, just having to rewrite early history is, like, very intense. I also feel like it's interesting because this whole study that you went through is talking about, like, learning and about coping mechanisms and about whether you can, whether this is something that you can figure out a way to get better at. And, yeah, you did a lot better on the test, and that's exciting, but I think what's more interesting is all the other coping mechanisms that you came up with and all the ways that you have like figured out how to navigate the world and like yes that sometimes involves looking at people's hair and being able to like identify other features about them but sometimes that involves just like finding good people and finding your people and that that makes the rest of it pretty okay. I know. I mean, it's kind of a trope, but I do feel like I got sort of a superpower from my disability, right? Like, I am really good at finding interesting people. And I have such a great crew of interesting friends who sometimes I can recognize. (laughs) (laughs) I guess 
in one sense, it's, it does sort of fit with my narrative of myself, which is that I feel like I was born, like, pretty weird. <laughs> and I've really made the best of it. And I guess just revisiting that basic sort of experience of my life is kind of hard. But but it does, that is still the, the basic arc and my understanding of myself and my life is, like, pretty much the same but it's just like really it's like whoa you are really weird dude (laughs) you are in the two percent of weird (laughs) sadie dingfelder is a features reporter for the post sadie also wrote a first person essay about this for the washington post magazine You can find a link to that piece at postreports.com. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening, and we hope you had a happy Labor Day. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.